This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today I'm in for a treat. Usually I say you guys are in for a treat, but this new YouTuber and very seasoned business person, Carl Pierre, who has the YouTube, it's a fresh channel, young channel called ENTP Life. And I just felt this channel. I thought maybe I found my cloned uh, brother when I saw everything he has going on. Let me try to run down some of it. So he runs a home care agency, not just runs it. He makes, and it says this online, you know, millions of dollars doing this. He's also a pilot. He also has a family. So, you know, when you're watching, understand that you can do it with a family. He has a a child. He's moved from New York, where he's from, to Miami. Guess who else is going down to South Florida? Moi. And I can't wait to meet Carl in person. Carl, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Very colorful introduction. I appreciate it. Oh, man. Sounds about just about right. You are so welcome. I'm telling you, man, in the laboratory where we were created, um, I'm just like, you know, I knew you were somewhere and and I found you. So I I feel normal, you know, and I'm like, yes, it's not just me. Can can you tell us people who haven't found out your channel and your links will be in the description box? um, Just, you know, a little about yourself. Yeah, so um, I I would say that I'm what some would call a serial entrepreneur. Uh, I like to learn and get myself involved in as many things as possible. And it's not always, you know, in pursuit of making money. It's usually in pursuit of solving a problem or just something that I find interesting. And I just, I also find interesting to monetize it. So in my history, uh, I would say the majority of my, uh, I guess, income and, and what I do is focused heavily in healthcare and real estate investing. But outside of healthcare and real estate investing, I have dabbled in uh, fashion technology. I also have a tech arm to my home care company. So we do produce uh, technical solutions for home health, social adult daycare. And in my private time, as Kellen touched on, I I am a pilot and I have a nonprofit for uh, people who are interested in in becoming pilots called Fly Forward. So we try to focus on people who are lower income, minorities, and women, usually the people who aren't represented in in the airline industry. And we try to introduce them to, to, uh, I guess, to flying and really try to get them to go on a career track so that is an option for them. Right now is not the best time for for pilots (laughs) or to be promoting being a pilot just because of you know, what's going on with COVID, but uh, it's something that I just do for, for fun, something that fascinated me, and, and I saw that there weren't many people like me represented in the, in the pilot scene, and, you know, and it's really just because it's not visualized enough, but uh, outside of that, you know, I, I may be involved in, in any industry as long as, I, as it excites me. 
Okay, and he's also, you know, when he says real estate, and you can see all of this on his YouTube that I'm definitely subscribed to, he took the, you know, plunge to go to Italy and invested a whole dollar into a home. Now, folks, I want you to go to his channel to see the ins and outs, because that's what his channel's there is to teach you. And I, and I could talk to Carl you know, for forever. And I don't have forever because he has work to get into. And we're both going to have wives and kids who say, hey, you got something, you know, else to do. But <laughs> I, I want to ask you coming up, how did, how did you, was it, did you feel normal? Or did you have anybody else who was like you doing the things that you did at the ages you were doing it? Or were you kind of like always the outsider um, in, in, you know, your circles and school and all that? I was always an outsider, but never felt like it. You know, I just, I was always doing things that other kids weren't doing, or I was just interested in things that other people weren't interested in. But that was just always me. So I didn't, I didn't feel like it was unusual. I kind of always felt that it was unusual that they weren't interested. Um, not that I kind of felt like an outsider. Like when I was 13, I started working with a guy who had like his own backyard body shop. But his father was a used car dealer. And through him, I, I did that all through high school, but I started getting into flipping cars, well, buying salvage wrecked cars and fixing them or buying auction cars and just selling them for, for a spread. And I was doing that starting at 13. I bought my first car at 15. Um, and I did that also throughout college. So for me, my, my buddies, you know, I, they were more interested in like playing video games and smoking weed. And I was more interested in earning a little bit of money and, and doing something after school. So I don't know, it, it never, it never seemed kind of unusual to me. I always had money. I had my own car. I had things going on in my life that made life exciting for me. Um, but that's how it always been is once I learned something and saw the opportunity in it, I would give it a try myself. And if it worked, I would, you know, keep at it or, or I'd keep at it until I lost interest. So that's kind of how it always was. It was never really about, uh, you know, fitting in or, or trying to go with the flow. It's just kind of going with what was inside me. And what was the urge to make money at such a young age, most people would say? Uh, funny story, man. So when I was about five years old, yeah, it's about five years old. A few things happened. And these are like like bookmarks in my memory. One day I, I you know, I wake up my dad. My dad worked the night shift. So I wake my dad up, like, hey dad, I you know, I need money for this. And he was like, Oh, I don't have any money. And I was like, All right, so let's go to the bank and get money. And he was like, What? He was like, I need to have money in the bank to get money. And I was like, No, every time I see you go to the bank and walk up to the line. They give you money, so let's go. So he was like, all right. He wakes up out of bed, takes me to the bank, and he was like, go ahead, ask them for money. And I was like, yeah, can I have, uh, you know, $5, whatever the hell I was looking for, ice cream money. And the lady was like, uh, do you have an account here? And, like, she's kind of laughing it up at me, explains to me how a bank works. And he was like, you see, in order to get money from the bank, you need to put money in it. They're actually saving it for you. I was like, Okay, one lesson. Less, another thing was that, like, my mom used to always tell me, do you think money grows on trees? 
you know, that, 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 that stupid expression. And then I tried to prove her wrong by planting some money and say, I'm going to grow this money tree and I'm going to show you kind of thing. That didn't work out. Um, but probably like the most pivotal, pivotal experience was like there was a, uh, a Jamaican beef patty restaurant in my neighborhood called Yui's. And like I was probably about nine years old and all the you know young boys in my neighborhood would ride their bikes over there and buy some patties. And, you know, I, I didn't go that day, but it would be customary that somebody would like bust you off with like half of the patty or a bite or something like that. And I didn't have money either. So I didn't go and I didn't have money. So I was like, I asked for a bite of a, of a patty and it was like eight of us at a table and every single person said no. And I was like, well, I don't have any money of my own to go and get my own patty and my parents are at home and my brothers were at the table too and they said no and they have money and I can't, you know, so it was like this moment where I was just like, I'm never not going to have my own money again mm. and whatever I need to do, I'm going to get it. So I, at that age, I started packing groceries at the supermarket for tips um, and from that point on, I've always been earning it on my own and uh, not really reliant on parents or or anybody to to enable me to do something right i felt like it was my ticket to to have my own freedom in a way you know what i mean i bought my own video games it was just like i would like i went to a catholic school so like every first wednesday of the month you would get a half day right for like faculty meetings or something like that so on those wednesdays or on the catholic holidays I would go to the supermarket and I would just pack groceries and I'd probably make like $30 in tips for the, for the day. And this is like 1990. So 30 bucks, nine years old, 10 years old is all right. So, you know, that's two days and I got a, a new Nintendo game. So that's what I was doing then. And then, so I always had like an interest in money because it, it empowered me to do more of what I wanted without being dependent on anybody else. And that's what, I mean, it's a tool, as the great Donald Trump said before he went insane, you know, in, in many of his, his books. It's, it's a tool to, um, you know, get, get what, you, what you want. Now, you said your own brothers wouldn't give you a bite of a patty, and then you become successful in business. A lot of entrepreneurs struggle with saying no to family, and a lot of folks also go in debt because they don't want to say no because they may be known as the successful one whatever that means in a family right and how do you deal with that because it's very easy now for you you know i don't know where your brother is but if he ever needs something say hey remember that patty i couldn't get a bite of um you could be vindictive and you can also be you know uber giving how do you manage you know how you deal with family and friends who look at I, I am someone who doesn't share with money, per se. I kind of share with experiences. That's my way of showing someone I care about what they're doing. Um, so if they need my help, I'm willing to give them ideas. You know, Jay-Z got this line, right? Actual money, wait, no. What, what does he say? Ask for advice, get money twice, right? Yo, oh, ask for money, get advice. Ask for advice, get money twice. That's the line, 
right? So that's kind of how it works out with me. It's just like I I never really gave people money just because I don't know. It just never was really given to me like that. Like just like here you go because I have it. Here you go. It was always like I have it. Kind of prove yourself as to why I should give you some to do whatever it is that you need to do, whether it's through work or through you know concepts. So with my brothers, um, they do well, so they, they're not really like hurting. Um, actually, I, I do get them to invest in some of my projects still. So it's not like a, a like oh I need it's things have come up like that like oh man I got this bill and whatever and I'm like all right that's cool. And I mean, like, I'm not going to volunteer some money. I'll, I'll, I would rather volunteer, like, how did you get yourself into this financial predicament? Like, this is what you need to reorganize so you don't find yourself there or to get out of it. Because I'm not going to just, you know, cut you a check or, or just solve this problem for you. Because if I do that, you're gonna, it's going to happen again, right? You need to look back and say, how did I get here? Okay, and... and so you just, it's a flat out, just no, I don't give money. And, and did you have to build that up or was that just a natural thing? Because if it's not family, it's friends or people who come around with a great business idea and say, this is great, you know. I think it's because I got no, told no so many times. Like that it's normal for me to tell people no, because every time I got told no, it was like, you haven't proved yourself yet. Right? It was because I was, I was just coming with the idea or with the need. And the person who had it, people who have money, they've been through that too. And they know that if they got that money too easy, what they would have done recklessly. Right? So when somebody comes along and says, like, I got this idea, they were that person before. So somebody told them no too because they, that's just the way that it works, man. If you just get that check, you get that blank check, oh man, you got to spend it crazy. Mm -hmm. So it's you earning your own money, you making your own way, you struggling for it, that makes you respect it a little more. So for me, I, I, I saw that as like how I, I made my own way. So if somebody comes to me asking for money, I give them advice, right? Like, yo, maybe you want to do this, this, and this, right? This is how you could get money from somebody else. This is how you could... You could earn money by doing a, a little side job or, or something like that or turning one of your skills into, into a second income. And then if they keep coming back to me and I keep seeing that progress, then it's like, all right, this is somebody I can give money to because I'm not giving it to them. I'm investing in them and they're the type of person that, that executes, right? Mm -hmm. So I, that's kind of like what I, I've adopted. So anybody who just comes to me about like, oh, I got this, this idea – I'll just give them like a test. Like, all right. Oh, I have, this is an interesting story. One of my good friends came up to me and he was like, yo, I got this idea for this, uh, this music application or something like that. And he was like, uh, and I know, you know, you're into business and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm listening and I'm waiting because I know what's coming, the request for money. I was like, he was like, yeah, I need 10 grand. Um, to, to do some of the pre preliminary development work. I got the dude that's going to be doing the coding, etc. I was like, sounds like a good idea. I'm in. I'm coming in for your last thousand. <laughs> Get 9,000 from 
wherever else, I'll be the thousand, I get you the 10. I never heard about this idea since then, <laughs> right? Yeah. So if he had executed on even raising the 9,000, then I would have seen that he's capable of that, right? But he, he didn't even follow through on the, the minimum requirement, which is just the, the, the starter field, the 10K. So how are you going to follow this through? So I would have supported him as long as he proved and passed the first test. So that's kind of how I, how I deal with people who are asking something of me. I test them out, see what they do, see what they come back with. And then after enough of those tests, I say, all right, now I see that you, you're, you're going to do whatever it takes to, to, to get to your next point. So this is something I have a little more faith in. And, they're, and you're actually listening to what I'm saying. You're taking my advice and you're taking it maybe even sometimes further than what I thought was possible. So now I'm interested. I'm, I'm going to have to use that in the future. I, I'll give you your last thousand. I, I, you know, I can flat out say, no, that's not what I do. But I, I've never heard that because to him, okay, ATM Carl, uh, give me the money. But once you get the money, are you willing to put in the work? And $10,000, it's uh, not a lot of money for business. But you should be able to find that, whether it's your SBAs, whether even there's so many different things that could have helped you find $10,000. And you, you know, again, that advice that you give them on the uh, consulting is, you know, it, that could be $10,000 worth of advice where to find that money. But that is interesting. And then, you know, he might be out your life for life because he feels embarrassed. What about hiring family? I fired family. I hired them. I'd work with family again. It's just what what happens early on, right? When you're when you're an early entrepreneur, and you're undercapitalized, you work with people that are familiar to you, and you work with people that you can afford, right? So the first people who buy into you tend to be friends and family, and they often don't have the right set of skills or even they are even aware that they have the right set of skills. So you may even go to a friend and be like, oh, he's, he's got the gift of gab, man. If I could just get him on the phone selling, um, he'll sell. But he doesn't like to be a salesman or he doesn't believe that he can be or you're paying him too little. Something like that can happen. Like there's, with friends and family, you get into these, these gray areas. Um, what I learned is that you, you actually just have to properly evaluate them like a stranger. Is this somebody that I would hire and pay, you know, fair market wages to or not? And am I going to always keep it objective with them and treat it like, okay, this is a job that I need you or anybody else to do. You just happen to be the most qualified person who applied for it and you fit the bill, right? And I'm going to treat you like any other employee that if you need to be coached, then you're coached. If you need to be reprimanded, reprimanded. If you need to be terminated, then you're terminated. Um, either for cause or because I'm not performing in my role as, as the business owner. I can't afford you. So you know, have I done it? Yes. Do I enjoy it? Sometimes if there's good chemistry there. Like I, one of my partners in real estate is one of my fraternity brothers. Um, you know, we've been at it since... 2006 
his work style and my work style complement each other. You know, uh, some of my high school friends, I, I couldn't do business with them or work with them, but they're still my friends. So like, would I want to work with them? Absolutely. But are they the best person to do the job um, without straining the relationship? No. So look at, look at the job first, then look at the person as to whether or not they fit, that, fit the mold for that job and are truly qualified for the position. If you keep it to the position and you keep it to the skills sets that are needed and the experience that's needed, it doesn't matter who the person is, friends or family, are they capable of doing the job? I'm curious, and and it's almost kind of just for laughs, you know, with you at your stage right now, how many people meet you and then say, oh, wow, you're accomplished. Um, you know, I have this business you'd probably be interested in, and it's probably like a network marketing type thing. And they're like, Are, do you want financial freedom? Do you ever get those type of questions and, and, and you know, kind of inquiries? And, and what do you say? Um. I, I get them every day. So like when it comes from friends and family, I just tell them like, look, man, uh, this is a bad idea. The same effort that you're about to give into this scam, you could actually point into a good business and do a lot better for yourself. So cut the cord now. Mm -hmm. And you know, if they're really been sold into it, because those MLM uh, companies, they it's like it's like religion, man. They they really milk, they really like pull you in, and they have a tactic of making you believe in something that's not quite there, and making you feel like you belong to something. It's it's more of a feeling than it is logic and reason. And you know, however they tap into that, they do. But so I try to point it out immediately and say, yo, this is. First of all, no. Second, this is what you need to do. Once again, the advice. Um, and, and that's that. So like they, they might get the, the opportunity to talk to me because they call me, I'm like, oh, I got this business idea and they're a friend. And I'm like, oh, sure, what's going on? Uh, but once it's one of those things, I just kind of nip it right away and tell them you know, other things that they could do that I think are more lucrative with their skill set and you know maybe equal startup costs so that they're not like thinking this is out of my range but after that you know i, I can't help you ever find it funny those people who do give you those inquiries they always know a friend of a friend or something who's made you know so many millions and they make a whatever a, a million a day or something crazy yeah. i had one recent one person recently tell me hey you want to get on the phone um, you know, Marshall Falk, who's a Hall of Famer, and he's a decamillionaire. And I'm like, well, I bet you it's not from this. <laughs> you just said he's a Hall of Famer. And, I, you know, we know Marshall Falk, Aztecs, Colts. It's, you know, it, it's just funny. So I, I get to laugh at that later in a more hilarious way over some wine when I tell yeah. my wife that, you know, uh, we're Guess not. call me. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that, 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 that's, that's crazy. What do you think it takes to be a successful entrepreneur? I think it, it takes uh, a, a real problem or need to exist, first of all. Like, there, there needs to be a real problem or need that, that you're addressing. Um, and it takes you to 
you know, obviously it sounds cliche, but not quit on satisfying that problem or need. And it also takes you, you need to be able to reflect honestly with yourself. I, I think that's where most people fail is they're not honest with themselves. So they, they end up making like excuses and stories for why they're not succeeding at whatever it is that they're doing. Like it, it is your responsibility as an entrepreneur to look back and say, what did I do well? What did I do wrong? And start to eliminate all the bad practices so that you're only left with the things that are, that are kind of working for you. So, but if you can't look at yourself and say, damn, uh, I really should have prepared better for that, for that sales call, or I should have, you know, prepared better for, um, an economic downturn right? I was, I was, I was in too much debt. It's like, if you, you know, I bought this car, like that was something that happened with me. I spent too much money on like things that when the economic downturn came, I was over leveraged. And then it was like, do I sacrifice, you know, my image or like, you know, you had to deal with those things. Like how am I going to be perceived if I start, you know, cutting back on all the things that, prove that I was successful to the outside world like that, like that matters. But you have to have that conversation with yourself so that you don't make the same mistakes going forward and you only are getting better and better. So a real entrepreneur, in my opinion, satisfies a need, solves a problem and spends time looking back so that they make better future decisions. Okay, and are you over that hump of, you know, having the, the car, the, the, the right watch, um, like Jay-Z? You want to quote Jay-Z, not having the bright watch, but the right watch. Are you over that curve or hump and saying, like, you know what? It, it, I'm, wa I'm watchless. Uh, you know, my last car was a used Fiat with no bumper. Um, my current car is a leased vehicle that I, you know, it's a GMC truck. I got it because it fits the you know, baby stroller and things. Um, and I don't, I don't care about, about how I'm perceived by the outside world. Cause you know, those aren't the people putting money in my pocket. They're not paying my bills. They're not feeding me. They're not going to even listen to me when I'm down. So why do I need to satisfy them in a way so yes i am completely over that that's because it doesn't it doesn't earn you more money like anybody who's gonna buy into you because of how you appear is an idiot right and they're not gonna have money long because they're buying into the wrong thing if they're buying into you because of your track record because of your ability to execute that's what that's what you know smart money does they they don't buy into the image. They, they've graduated beyond that because that's burnt them at some point, right? Because that was like the false narrative that they were sold. Like, oh, you know, if someone's successful if they look like this. Someone's successful when what they're doing looks like this, right? So, you know, I, I, that's my overall philosophy. I don't, I don't really care. Like, do I like nice things? Do I sometimes get tempted to like just, you know, stunt a little bit? Yes, of course. Because it, it feels good to be acknowledged for what you're doing well. But I ultimately think, is this something that's going to earn me more money? No. Is this something that's going to help me 
when things are going bad? No. So do I need, that's like kind of my, my, my process. Do I really need this? Can I spend this money on something that's going to spin off enough cash flow to get this? So I guess I kind of like hedge it in between that every now and then I do spend on, on things that will make me feel good um, and satisfy that need. So like with a car, I might rent something nice for a weekend. Like, all right, it's going to be me and my lady going, going away for the weekend. Maybe I'll rent, you know, a Porsche or, or, or something like that and satisfy that need for that moment. Right. But when it's time for me to go from point A to point B, I don't care. You know, it's like, I like to have that flexibility uh, in those options. Like, you know, I live pretty average um, and I, and I, and I don't believe in like, I see so many of my peers go through this where they inch up their lifestyle as their pay, pay increases. Right. But, you know, I feel like in most places in the world, for $5,000 or less, you can maintain your person, you can maintain your household, you can feed yourself, you can cover your utilities, right? So why do you need to move your, your personal expenses up to 20000 a month or 40000 a month just because you're making, you know, more money? Like, you don't, you don't necessarily need an $8 million house, right? You, all right, you're going to have... You're gonna have a thirty thousand, forty thousand dollar mortgage payment. Why do you need that? You know what I mean? Especially when if you if you're earning enough to afford that, you're typically not there, mm-hmm. right? So who are you doing it for? You're doing it, you know, to say this is my address. You like you're doing it for the wrong reasons, I think. And it's like, you know, for me, I'd rather I'd rather rent something like that for when I need it, right? If I if I'm gonna rent it, I'll rent it for you know, all right, I'm doing a, a family outing. I don't know. Something, I don't know. I haven't done it, but if I were going to do it, I'd say, all right, I'm trying to do like a family reunion, get everybody down. I'll book this house out or something like that. I don't need to pay for it all year when it's just me, one daughter, and my lady. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And do you do take the same approach with even, you know, what you pay yourself? Because so many entrepreneurs, you know, they make that first whatever thousand and then, you know, you can go into the six or seven, whatever figures you go into, but no one ever told you you had to increase your wage. The money won't rot is what I like to say. So how do you balance that? Where you say, well, you know, I went from making this to that and do you, what type of increase, if any, do you give yourself? So right now I pay myself about $150,000 a year. Um, and I feel that that's enough. So I decide, like, let me see, back in 20, I don't know, 2016, I chose to pay myself $10 an hour. And I was like, I was paying myself minimum wage, you know, all my companies. Um, to make a point, first of all, that, listen, I, I'm in this for, for the growth of the company, right? I can start draining from it, but I'd rather spend this extra money on a marketing person. I'd rather spend this extra money on ads, right? Or building out our technology rather than it hit my pockets. I could spend it on things. And I was living in, uh, I had a studio, I still own it, a studio apartment in, in, in Queens. I paid, I think a hundred thousand for it. My monthly obligation was like 
$1,000 a month, right, between my maintenance fees. And it's a nice, it's a nice building. Got, it's on a golf course, indoor and outdoor pool. Nice, it's a really nice place. But I picked it up in 2009 when the market crashed. And I was like, it's just me at that point. So it's 350 square feet. This is exactly what I need. It's 10 minutes from my office. Bam, I'm good. So for $1,000 a month, I own this thing, which is, which is less than rent in Queens. In Queens, New York, that's less than rent. So I own it, and you know, I just kept myself on the bare minimum. This was after the market crashed, after I was forced to get lean. And, I, and I, from that point on, I was just like, nah, I got to keep it this way. You know, used car, low rent. Because if ever I have to pull back again, I'm good because I'm only spending $1,500 a month on, on, on maintaining myself, right? And I'm earning more than that in my company and I was still working a night job and I was still trading stocks. And I was like, the more I could pile up my money to invest and to, to kind of build on my businesses, the more I'm gonna do that, then I need to pay myself and then try to like show to others. And at that point, like when I went to, to pay myself $10 an hour, I already owned five properties, right? So if I, if I already own five properties, most of them cash flowing, I didn't really need to apply for any new debt, right? So I didn't need to really show, oh, okay, this is how much I make or whatever. I could still show I have this other revenue here. I could kind of tell the story, but once I, once I got myself into a position where I could get my expenses super low, uh, it didn't really matter how much I paid myself. Right, as long as I was able to just provide, that's what I paid myself. And I just inched up my, my salary, you know, year after year. Just it's like, all right, well, this year I'll pay myself another ten dollars an hour or whatever the case may be. And you know, and I spend all my money currently on trying to make more money or travel. That's the only thing I really spend my money on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so now I pay myself that and I encourage, you know, entrepreneurs. Don't fall into that, like, oh, my business is starting to make money, so I got to show. You know, oh, you know, dinner's on me, look at the car, bigger house, because you're going to get a pullback. You know, at some point, the economy is going to pull in on you, just like it is now. Like, I see people, like, hurting. I'm good, because I never overextended myself. So even in a sharp pullback, even in a, in a time where, where where people aren't earning or whatever the case may be, I got runway, man. I'm I'm okay, and I'm also okay with going back to the studio apartment because mm-hmm. I've already survived that downturn, and I know it's not going to kill me, and I, and I know you know some girl is still going to love me because that's what it was. So what am I really losing? Yeah, with the downturn, um, what do you think for those who have cash? Do you think, uh, you know, there's going to be entrepreneurs and people out there who never even thought about getting into the restaurant business or even maybe owning a a water park, right? But because it's an opportunity, you know, because the owner is hurting so bad that you might be able to get in as a partnership or just take it over. You think we might see, you know, that might become a trend? In some industries, you know, okay. I, think, I think in some industries it's possible because like in, rest, in the restaurant business, I don't know, it's, I, I never felt that it was a good business ever. Um, 
but there might be some people who were in those over leveraged positions that this pullback hurt them, right? Like, all right, I got a water park. My water park, I was depending on, you know, opening this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, I'm mandated to keep be closed. That's, you know, a big piece of what's going on. I got to pay this bill or I might lose it. You might be able to come in, you know, with some, with some money to show them, hey, look, I, you know, and you get, you get, you get a percentage on discount. Of course, that's, I think it, I think it's going to happen. And it always happens whenever there's some sort of economic hardship, the dude with cash has the options and has the control. Have you, um, since you got, you know, gotten married and you've had your child, what type of impact has, you know, bringing other people into your life and into your business? Has it helped the business? Has it made you cut back on hours or just has it made you grind even harder? Okay. Um, from a, from a business standpoint, it kind of fired me up, right? To, to do more because it's like, all right, there's more, there's more miles to feed. There's more, you know, I got to ensure certain things for, for, for people. So I got to make sure that e that even on a pullback, um, I'm all right. Cause now it's, it's not just me in the studio. It's me and two others in the studio, but that's okay as well. I think we could survive that. Um, but what, what, what's changed? I think, I value my time more and I do try to create more time for my family in a way that I didn't in the past. Um, you know, in the past I, I would be okay with being in the office, you know, 12, 14 hours if I needed to be in the office 12, 14 hours or, you know, at work 12 to 14 hours in a day, you know, seven days a week, even now on the week, I always work. So when I get home, you know, I have to kind of make a conscious effort to, to, have family time. Um, but I do appreciate it more. And, and my wife is, is a really nice person. Like she's really good at, she's like a feeling type, right? So the, the feeler types are good at kind of taking you out of the regular mood, right? And they could pull you back into like reality in a way, like what matters, like to a more visceral place. So when she sees that I'm kind of like, on tilt or, or like kind of grumpy because I'm working too hard. She kind of like, you know, what, what are you living for? You know, you, you're not, you're not working for more money really. Like right now you're just trying to hit new targets. It's, it's, you're playing a different game, but what really matters to you? Right. So she has to kind of recenter me sometimes, but I, I think that's the only thing that has changed. It hasn't made me more conservative per se, like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fold and say, oh man, I got a kid. So now I gotta, you know, get super conservative. No, because to, there, there's people who have far less education than me, who have far less resources and means than me that have more children than me and are, and their kids are alive. You know, <laughs> their kids are alive and running around and doing their thing. So ec economics is not going to really break my household. I mean, what I can teach my kids, yeah, it's, you know, that's way more valuable than, than like money. I don't know. So I, I don't, I don't fall into that camp of, oh, because I got kids now, I can't. I mean, like what, what I, one thing I did do was make a provision for childcare, right? So, you know, in my office in New York, 
when my child was born, she was, she was with me every day, right? So I brought her to the office, baby's in the office, and she's just there. You know, I mean, they can't tell, they can't tell me I can't bring my kid to work, right? So uh, my kid was there with us. And once that started getting a little tiring, then it was like, all right, well, let's get some childcare in place. And all I did was, was, was make a provision to support my childcare and say, all right, well, I'm, I'm not going to pay this out of pocket, right? I'm going to whip up an Airbnb and the Airbnb money will be my contribution to the childcare, right? So it's like, I'm going to spend this money anyway. I'm going to spend this amount of money in childcare per year. Well, I'd rather invest it in something that's going to spend off some cash and that's going to pay for my childcare. And that's how I kind of move on everything. It's like, okay, this is something that I need. It's going to be a reoccurring expense. I'm going to pay for something that can pay for that. Before having, well, I won't say before having children, but there was a, there were jobs, you know, that I had, and there's been places that I've had where you have to protect yourself. And I feel, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm not a marksman, but I, I practice, right? But people mm -hmm. sometimes will say, you always have your children. Are you a stay at home dad? I say, well, I mean, I'm a work from home, stay at home, but I've even, you know, had like nannies and come with me to a meeting, play with the kids at park while I go to this meeting because I want to be, I think it's the background of just seeing so much abuse. And again, that job that I had was working with CPS and I've yeah, worked yeah. with homes and psych hospitals. And so my thing is I need to see I, my kid. Yeah. I got to see him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and they travel with us, you know, eight out of 10 times when we go places, but I do have certain family that we fly in um, when it just needs to be me and my wife, but that's just me. So I just, just wonder, you know, how, others um you know deal with that so yeah bring up to the office why not i'd bring mine to the radio station they say we've never seen a two-year-old sit for two hours um yeah you know and relax it's good training what are you doing as far as i'm a kind of a sometimes morbid where i'm always thinking about um the last day and dying and what do you leave so before kids are born, I bought like all the muzzy curriculums and all the math curriculums, right? And I'm thinking, what can I show you before I leave here? And do you think about that for your children? Like what businesses? I've been thinking about vending machines, what wrap snacks being kind of a popular thing now. Kids can see, you know, how you can put chips in a vending machine or at a hotel if you can make a deal like that and just supply them. But do you think of things like those? Yes. Um, so for me, my, my daughter is one, right? So I just try to show her work ethic and because so, kids are pulling that information, like, you know, they, they pull all of it. So I just bring her around for that, but I'm going to try to teach her early on how to make money because making money is not hard. So I want to show her early on, like, these are the different things that you can do to make money. Just figure out what you want to do, right? So that you, she never has that fear of how am I going to eat? How am I going to, you know, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to leave this, the cushion of this job. Or I can't do that because how am I, because so many people have that connection. Like, if I don't do this, then I don't get any money and my life is over. So it's just like, nah, you need to figure out the money thing early in life. So that's never your limiting factor. So, that, I mean, the only way I could teach her that is just show her what I do. Um, I'm always going to show my kids parts of the real estate game because I think that's some of the easiest money I make. 
Um, and then, you know, like one, one thing, like my brother, right? He's got three kids, two of them are teenagers. And he's a physician, so he does, you know, financially does, does fairly well. But he's been thinking, he owns two properties. So his property and his former house, right, that, that he now rents. So I've been like, yo, look, why don't you push some more money towards real estate? And I was like, you could have your daughter and your son managing the real estate. You know, give them a job on the lawn. Give the other one the job of rent collection and entering the, the, the rent into QuickBooks or whatever other program you're using so that they can build those. Because that's how I learned. My mom, she started the, the staffing firm in 1996. She didn't know how to use a computer, right? So she was like, I heard we need to get QuickBooks, right? That's what she heard we need to get QuickBooks. So I was like, all right. So she got QuickBooks. I sold it on the computer and try to figure out what QuickBooks is and how to use it for our business. So, you know, I learned so much. That's at 14 years old, right? Learning my mom's side of the business. I'm still doing the car thing. So I'm learning all these little skills just by existing in my household. So I feel like with, with his kids, he could just have them doing that rent collection, those basic things. Like if, if they live in the same state, I would employ them to do that. Like, you know, come, come over, you're going to go collect the rent. You're going to go through this. You're going to, just so they know they could see the nut. Cause that was one thing that, that really made me go into, to, to health, healthcare entrepreneurship is I started seeing the checks, man. Cause I was doing, I was doing the invoicing. So like you're, you're 14 years old and you know, like, these are, this was nurse staffing. So at that time we were probably paying you know, RNs like $28 an hour. Right. And we we're billing about $35 an hour on RN. So you have four RNs working full time, right? You're billing $35 an hour on four of them. So that's what? Uh, $140 an hour, 40 hour work week. Right, you do that for a month, you get a check. A check arrives that's twenty three thousand, and it's like, all right, I got to record that check, close out the invoice, deposit it, and then seeing that kind of get bigger and bigger each month, and I'm seeing checks that are like people's annual salaries coming in. So for me, I was just like, all right, it made me just look at money differently. Like, all right, the money comes in, the money goes out. This is the spread, and it just that was normal for me to think in that way, to see things all in like numbers and to see things scale and to know that it is better for me to have multiple people working for me than to work this job. Cause I could, you know, I can only work 16 hours a day. You know what I mean? How, how do I make more? You know, like, so those are, those are the sort of things that, that kind of stuck with me. So when I'm looking at children and trying to make them understand money, it's walking them through that process early on so that it's like part of the normal life. And then they'll just start to catch things, whatever they're interested, whatever they're truly interested in, they'll be able to connect their interest with money or, you know, what's the minimum that they need to survive. And I know how to make that. My dad showed me how to make that. So. Okay. And what's your community give back that you are doing in the community or that you want to do in the future? So the give back is, is really my, my nonprofit, right? So now, like prior to that, I actually wasn't given much, right? I, I would do like turkey giveaways for, for Thanksgiving, things like that, small, small gestures. But 
you know, my, my nonprofit is, is one is probably going to be like my, my personal pet project. Um, so I've, I've aligned my new company so that 10% of its profits get earmarked to my nonprofit. And that's to fund, you know, people's careers in, in aviation. Um, so with that, it's really just trying to, to like get at risk kids, just, just get people into that, into that career, just so they could, they could earn for themselves. They could do something that they thought was beyond them. They I mean, like flying a plane, like we see them flying all the time, but for the general public, they think that's like this far fetched thing. Like, how do you, how does it all work? So like, you know, putting a kid in, into, into a plane at 14, 15 years old, giving them lessons, flying from one state to the next, that does something to their confidence. That does something to their mind. It makes them believe that there's, there's more that they can do, you know? So it's like, that, that's kind of like my give back is going to be that. And then, and then down the line, what I have in mind is I want to, I want to start a, a, like kind of like a black focused accelerator. And the reason for that is when I was doing my, my fashion startup, you know, one of the routes to, to getting funded and recognized is going through the accelerators, right? So as you start going through the accelerators, you start going through that VC scene, you see so few blacks. And even in going, so I, I, I could try to like summarize this experience. Mm -hmm. Me, I don't, I don't stand on this idea that I'm a black person, so I do the things that black people do in America. I do whatever I do, and I happen to be black. But I also did grow up here, so I understand race is something that exists, and race is something that is going to kind of push and prod you in certain directions. But it, it, it is uncomfortable to go into an environment that people don't know what your environment actually is. And you don't know if you're being judged negatively. You have like this freaking, you know, victim mentality of, you know, like you, you can walk out of a meeting and have to debate, did they reject me because they don't believe in me because of how I present? Or did they reject me because I'm just not good, right? Which one is it? Because you, you sometimes, like I said, reflected on yourself is like, it's almost easy to blame the race. Like, oh, they're just not messing with me because I'm black, right? But in all those meetings and going to, to, different, to different VC firms, talking with different uh, angel investors, what I realized is that, you know, they're looking for opportunity more so they're looking for looking at race, right? That's number one. But there's so many, I know for sure that there's so many black people who are crippled by that, like, they won't mess with me because I'm black. And they just take themselves out. They don't even make the call. They just take themselves out. And there's not enough, like, black mentors or, or black vehicles that at least make it comfortable, right? Like, all right, I look like him. All right, I can follow him, right? A lot of my followers on YouTube are black. I don't try to, you know, segment myself to, to reach out to black people 
It's just that they see someone like them and they say, maybe he understands and if he did it, I can do it. No different than a, a, a woman president inspires a generation of young girls to say, I could be president too, right? It's not out of their mind, like a president's for, for you know, being a president's a man's job, right? So it's, it's that sort of thing. So I like, aside from the nonprofit, I wanna, I wanna start an accelerator or a VC firm that is owned and operated by someone who is black to eliminate or alleviate that pressure of, I don't belong here. And also to have more voices like mine within the organization to coach and, and guide those people on how to maneuver. Because, you know, you, you, you go to your average black neighborhood, there's just a lack of resources and information, mm-hmm. right? Just basic things like there's not, there's not, you know, a lot of like small stores. There's a lot of like, you know, check cash in places, payday loan spots, fruit and vegetable stores, like little, like these little businesses that, that can never be really enterprise level. So what are you going to learn if you, even if you get a job in your neighborhood, what are you going to learn from the fruit and vegetable store to, to, that could get you to, to kind of move like Whole Foods? You're not going to learn anything there. Meanwhile, somebody who works at the local Whole Foods, you know, in their neighborhood, right, they're going to start getting coached and trained in, in, a, in a way that the fruit and vegetable store or the little sea town is not even structured to do. You know what I mean? So you're never going to even build the skills that you need to say, hey, maybe I could step out of this lane and do, and do it myself. You're just a dude who's like, that, that's, what I, that's something that really burns me. So I was like, I want to create something that, makes black people feel safe, but also exposes them to a world where they could get exposed to, to true to true opportunities that could lead them to more and more wealth. And the more I could bring people into that world, then the more that, you know, there's more of us represented in these companies and it doesn't seem like a taboo thing anymore. Like, no, there's people like me here, you know? That, that's what needs to happen to, to get rid of that whole, like, you know, this, this, this doesn't work out for us. Yeah. Right? I want to get more people onto that side. And the only way that I see myself doing that is by, by having my own, my own accelerator, my own firm to really develop talent. And you're talking about really developing the mind first, because it starts with the mind. Uh, last year with a client, with his platform, we put together with another tool company, going, taking 30 people to Africa. And you could really see that their mind, some of them was just, some were like, wait, Nairobi, this is a real city. Or Mombasa, this is a beautiful beach, better than what I see, you know, wherever. And I want to do that even more and start even younger. Because it's like, say, Kellen, yeah, you can say that, but this is your life. And I've always had a, a, a nice life. I mean, I'm from Oakland, but I got to also get outside of Oakland fairly quickly and be able to go back. But I've also, my mother put me on planes, you know, and allowed me to do things that most kids probably weren't allowed to do. Um, you know, hey, yeah, you can go with your girlfriend in New York and, and you know, and, and do stuff like that. But it was the exposure. And after seeing 16 plus countries, when I talk to other people who travel like that, 
I like, I'm not special. I'm not a unicorn. But when you get to go see and, you know, taste other foods, and once you get to Africa, there's nothing like the continent. No matter if you go to Kenya, Cameroon, South Africa, Ethiopia, it's those are the places I've been. And it's always the same vibe where, okay, I can take it off. Because I'm sure you've been in rooms where you're the only one and you're probably comfortable now. I grew up like that, so I'm totally comfortable. Um, and when I say I grew up like that, like if you saw my family pictures, if my mom's not there, I'm the black sheep of the family. So uh, literally, that's my my joke. Uh, my family wouldn't find that funny, but <laughs> but but you know, it's 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 like my okay, my life was different. But how do you deal with that? You know, being the only one in the room, um, and do you you know? enjoy it because some people enjoy it like hey i'm special i'm oj i'm not black i'm oj <laughs> and some people try to bring more people in the room yeah i don't i i actually try to train myself out of even feeling that right like so like if i start to think if i if i walk into a room and i'm, and I'm the only one right i like i just say carl you gotta stop thinking about Cause that's gonna that's gonna be a limiting thing. That's gonna affect you in some way. So get it out your head. Try to try to try to come in here and be neutral, right? Be yourself. Share your ideas. Communicate in the language that you need to communicate in, right? Just like if I was in China, I need to drop some Mandarin, right? Communicate how they're expecting you to communicate, and do your thing. Like so, I, I try not to st get into that mode because then it it's almost like. I'm building up an excuse that I can fall back on. Like I said, I don't want to have excuses. I need to know objectively what actions I took worked and did not work. I can't blame it on on race. You get what I'm saying? So I try not to. I try not to think about that. But as far as like the whole travel bit, you know, I travel quite a bit, and I I like being in places. It feels good to be in a place where you forget that race is a thing, right? It's such a thing in the United States. But when you go abroad and you realize that like race is perceived in many ways no different than hair color, and that's not like what somebody is judging you on or prejudging you on, it feels good, man. It feels like, all right, you know, this is what it feels like to be even or to believe that you're, you know, you're even. So like, and then, you know, what you, what you come across in travel, exposure to new ideas, new businesses or gaps in businesses. Like you could go to, you know, wherever I, I was in Brazil and I was asking about certain apps right? Mm -hmm. And they have no exposure to these apps. And it's like, all right, so how, how are you managing this, this problem in Brazil? And it's like, yeah, you know, like something like TaskRabbit, right? I've asked Brazilians about TaskRabbit or something like it, and they don't have it, or something like Craigslist, like a, a, a very basic classifieds that everybody uses. They don't have it. So, you know, I, you even see opportunities in other places by just being there, right? Or things that you see there that can work in your home environment. 
just because of how things are working differently. So it's important to, to get to get your travel on for for what you could see and, and what you could learn about yourself or, or potentially unlearn about yourself. Okay. No, that's that, that that's good insight and that will help somebody. And I don't want to give them a game overload, but so many people, I mean, I'm a consultant, I'm a publicist, I'm whatever they, they want to call me, but like my hair is locked. And people say, how do you do business the way you do business looking like that? And, you know, I, I, I keep shades on. My eyes are sensitive to the light. I keep shades on. They don't always look like this. This is kind of special, whatnot. I'm getting ready for our Florida move. But, yeah. you know, the way I come in, I, I can, I'm anti-isopraxism. I, I don't want to fit in because I, I've never fit in. But I'm not trying to be, you know, CeeLo Green. But, hey, I'll put on what I want to put on as long as it looks somewhat manly. I'll just let me throw that out there. <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but no, I, I love it. And we can do this. Next time you guys see us, we might have a cameraman and, you know, somebody following us if Carl's so kind because we might stunt on you guys one time because I love Turo. Uh, I have my boating <laughs> for Seattle, okay. Florida, if it's needed. And, uh, you know, I, I, I dig it, but I don't want to give them too much because I want them to check out your channel, see what you got going on. And I, like I said, we're going to stay connected and I want to bring you in this, um, this space that I'm in. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you for having me. And yeah, we could, we could show them how we live a little bit, you know, and, and like I said, it's a pretty humble life for me, at least I, I think so. It's like, I'm more, I'm, I concern myself more with, with like going out there and having a good time and enjoying my environment. So it's like, you know, how, however we could do that, however we could kind of get people to, to number one, step outside of their comfort zone. I think if, if, if we could do that, then we've done something. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm my dream house is, uh, is that on the continent um, here, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But yeah, I'm, I'm a humble too. I'm more excited about how I buy something, what type of discount I got. So when you talk about a car with no bumper, I'm thinking, did he get it on the auction? And then, you know, <laughs> you might've spent 35 bucks on it. Right. But no, I got, I got, I got the car and then some drunk dude hit it. That's how I lost the bumper, but I just left the bumper. Cause I was like, it's the, what is the, the, the deductible, Plus the impact of my long-term insurance prices. I was like, man, bumperless. <laughs> so, but man, well, you guys have gotten the game. Make sure you like, share, subscribe. Give this to someone to inspire. This is billion-dollar game because it's just like stock, man. It's gonna go up. Um, it's just like you know whatever you value. But Carl, I thank you, and we shall talk. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.